Good afternoon, good morning, kind of at that cusp. Uh, my name is Buzz Compos. I run the strategic ISVs uh, within uh, Amazon Web Services. And I got some good and some bad news, depending on how you look at reInvent. Uh, the good news is we're officially 30 minutes away from halfway. The bad news is there's still half to go. Um, Hey, so today we wanted to do uh, something a little bit different. We actually are inviting three customers, partners of AWS on stage to share some of their transformation journey, how they're using uh, SAP, and how they're leveraging AWS to actually serve these SAP solutions. So I'll introduce the, the gentlemen that are gonna join us. They're gonna go a little bit through what is relevant for their companies right now, the transformation priorities that they have and how IT fits into that. And then at the second half of this presentation, we're gonna talk uh, more in a panel format of some of the things they've observed, the things they wanted to, uh, to improve on, um, and uh, just the Q&A. So we've been at this for a while. Uh, in terms of serving SAP workloads. It's an 11-year journey. Uh, Jürgen Mueller, the CTO of SAP, had us uh, actually join him at uh, the keynote at uh, TechEd in Barcelona. We kind of reflected on how did we get started. And it started 11 years ago, not with purpose-built infrastructure for SAP, but just by SAP sales, uh, sales resources leveraging their credit cards to provision SAP solutions so they could demonstrate them to customers. Now, obviously, a lot has happened since then. We started building uh, instances specific to SAP workloads. Uh, at the time, ECC, or the business suite, was very relevant, so we started uh, certifying Oracle, DB2, SQL Server to serve up these workloads. And then throughout 2015, HANA started to become a real priority. Now, HANA is a unique technology. It is, uh, it's obviously constrained by memory is what you would think, but it's actually the CPU power. So over commoditized hardware doesn't work in serving large SAP HANA instances. And in 2016, we introduced the first purpose-built for socket machine type, the X1, uh, to serve these SAP workloads. Now from there, we started working um, with our friends at MS2 to actually certify also the GovCloud, uh, serving the Army and the Navy. And it's been a phenomenal journey. What we've seen in the last few years is a higher sense of priorities around the digital transformation. Getting to S4HANA and innovating by bringing the data-centric version, a data lake and an SAP system or a BW system that is more agile in the provisioning as the priority. Um, in Barcelona, about a month ago, we actually launched the first 18 and 24 terabyte HANA systems, scale up, so singular system. And they actually, because they're built on Nitro, you probably heard Andy talk about Nitro, it's at the core what we do for these HANA systems. Uh, they're actually able to scale out to 48 terabytes of an S4 HANA system. Now, there's not a whole lot of customers that need that much uh, space. And obviously, the agility and flexibility that you would come to expect from AWS. Now, another announcement that we made on Monday is that AWS is now serving over 5,000 active SAP customers in their mission-critical environments. That makes us significant ahead of the industry. It's a it's a part of the, the transformation that's going on anyway um, with the hyperscale cloud, but it's also the 11-year history. And so we see customers in all industries. We see customers in every segment of an industry, and it's continued to accelerate in terms of adoption. What's very relevant for SAP customers is the move to S4HANA, or HANA period, requires customers to rethink infrastructure. So it's a very logical point to start looking at hyperscale cloud as an alternative to the on-premise environments that lack the, the agility and flexibility. So we're very proud of this. Over 50% of our customers are actively running on HANA, and we expect that to continue to grow 
quite, uh, quite rapidly. Now with that, I want to invite Frédéric Ponchamp. Frédéric is actually uh, the head of the cloud COE at a company called Engie. Now we assumed there's not a whole lot of people in the room that know what Engie does. Can I see a show of hands? Who's familiar with what Engie does? Okay, very good. <laughs> uh, for the other people, this is gonna be super interesting. Thank you, Frederick. Thank you. Before speaking about Engie, I would like first to discuss the purpose. Why are we here? Why are we trying to work, uh, collaborate, uh, do things together? And there is one point that was clearly re-expressed during the, the keynote on Monday evening by Peter DeSantis. Uh, this climate pledge, this willingness to move toward a zero carbon transition. This is key. This is key for all of us. This is something that defines a purpose. And this purpose, we had to integrate it in a company like Engie. Uh, it's a deep-rooted company, a company that has been created with roots uh, digging the canal, the Suez one, long time ago, 1858. Uh, then deployed uh, gas usage in France, 1946, and kept expanding. This expansion led to a large variety of activities a set of companies, one next to the other, that were quite successful. But in 2015, uh, there was really a need to, I would not say reinvent ourselves, but at least transition, transform ourselves, and align with the purpose. We looked at the trends at the time. What were those things we had really to integrate in our new strategy? Uh, and we saw three, uh, call them the 3D. Decarbonization, digital, decentralization. And what does this mean? Decarbonization is clear. We see more and more of those renewable all around. Can be wind, can be solar, uh, is rising quickly. The second one is digital. And this is disrupting. When you look at consumers, if you want to enable them to save energy, reduce consumption, adopt new behaviors, you need digital. And this is really transformative for an industry, for utilities. And the third one is decentralized. Uh, when you look at it, we still have over a billion people there around that don't even have electricity. So the ability to project solutions uh, in the middle of maybe of nowhere, or at least places where you don't have the cables going, uh, is today a necessity, because this brings education, this brings uh, everything that gives you a better life. So this decentralization also comes with technology evolution. Uh, you can put a couple of panels here, a bit of wind form there, and this is much more distributed than the typical uh, power plant you had previously. And this defined basically where we would go and how we would do it. So if you look at Engie, yes, it has traditionally been a large utility, a large energy and service group, but we had to challenge ourselves. We had to identify a new way to project us and a new way to interact with our clients, with the community at large. And this go beyond energy. Um, just to give you a quick overview of what we are doing today. Engie, what is it? Yeah, we heard that not that many people knew about it, but just to quick, give you a quick understanding. Energy, it's production. We are, in fact, the first independent producer of power in the world. Over 100 gigawatt installed. Of this, 92-93% is with low-emitting CO2. And it's rising with more and more renewable. We are, as well, very active with wind and solar, leader in France. 
The second point is distribution. It's also an historical business. Uh, we have been putting pipes in all over Europe. We are the largest one doing distribution and storage in Europe. We also have activities elsewhere. Uh, 4,500 kilometers of pipe in Brazil, for instance. So a very wide footprint. And what is coming is more and more of customer-centric solutions. And that's the third pillar, the customer solutions. This means that we are today the first in the world in cold network, not at the building level, at the city level. We are the second in the world in EV charging. So those are really significant numbers, and those are all very significant touch points with energy, with energy consumption. So I mentioned this was a juxtaposition of many, many entities. We understood that a couple of years ago, if we wanted to bring all this together, we had to change the way we were interacting together, first of all, within the company. We had to become one company and not a juxtaposition of companies. And this had multiple impacts. The first one was to make the sense of taking part of one company, a rebranding, a collaboration tool, allowing people to exchange data with each other. And as well, a new way to identify how we were costing things within this larger set. Because if we wanted to address the bigger challenge, zero carbon, we needed to be able to be multidisciplinary, not just focusing on one specific component where we are good, but taking advantage of this vast amount of knowledge, this vast amount of competences we had within the company. And this means 160,000 people, employee there, and contacts and extended partnership. So there, we really needed to rethink our cost model or margin model. And therefore, we need to, to re-implement a new way of doing finance and redeploy our ACP system. And the third pillar regarding IT, again, was to help exchange data internally. And that's where we had to deploy a data platform allowing us to easily cross data between entities, reuse what others have been doing. It's no use of copying 50 times weather data. Let's have the right one at the right place and reuse it, because this will help with all the customer solution, the predictive maintenance, the uh, smart systems, the way we can just tweak the right amount of uh, control in a consumer house and lower the amount of consumption. And once this being done, uh, we could then better address the larger territories, the large companies, and have a new ambition, become the world leader in the zero carbon transition as a service. And what does this mean? It means that now we are able to do made-to-measure analysis tell you what should be prioritized and how to do it. Turn innovative project or competences in those specific problems. Maybe reach with partners. Find out how to better move the fastest toward zero carbon. And finally, look at the financials. Because we all know that it's always key in the equation. And maybe you don't want a large amount of capex on your balance sheet, and you prefer help there as well to make it happen. So this is where NG is going. And, and this is also something we want to expand. Yes, we are acting together internally. No, we want to act together with the wider, wider world. Um, so we are expanding on innovation. We are expanding on touch point with the community at large. And that's where we are heading. And that's where it was critical, transformational for us 
to look at renewing this SAP landscape and start from greenfield, having something that could be, re be reused by all entities, but leaving them, each of them, with their own characteristic, with their own local capabilities. That's what's creating value today. That's, with, that's what will help us all together um, reach the zero carbon transition. So this being said, I suggest to give back the mic. Thank you, Frederick. Thank you. So super interesting story, right? NG is honestly going through a very relevant. Um, please take your time. We'll have the other two speakers come up, Frederick. Um, it was actually coincidental. I was in Paris on a Friday, uh, and we knew that Angie was going to go through this transformation. Um, and they actually uh, had a four-year timeline. And then the board of directors said, not four years, two years. We need to get this done. We need to get to S4HANA, because uh, that's a foundational building block, and we need to be able to have data interchange and interoperability. So I'm like, well, I'll stay over the weekend. Uh, we can talk on Monday on how we can help you. And on Monday, I met with uh, Paul Clark, um, CIO, and he's like, well, we need a system in November. Uh, and nobody seems to be able to do that. And it was September. I'm like, why is nobody able to get you a system in September? We can have it at the end of this meeting. He's like, can we? Uh, that would be phenomenal. Then we can start deploying s hana right now. Uh, and I'm like, well, I can do it or we can teach your resources how to do this. And this will only take us four hours. And so we flew some resources in on Wednesday, and on Friday, um, the digital transformation program was started. So thank you uh, for the trust, Frederic. I want to invite Mark. Uh, Mark is the CIO of HP, uh, PCs, printers, obviously uh, an industry that's very much going through its own uh, transformation, and HPI is a leader in this industry. Super interesting story, Mark. Thanks, Pat. Okay, so uh, let me give you just a, a bit of a rundown on HP before I get started into the content. So if everybody remembers, uh, HP in 2015 split HP Enterprise, HP Inc. I represent HP Inc., which is PCs, printers, and 3D printing. Um, at the time of the separation around 2015, it was uh, about 45 billion uh, to the printers, PCs, and 3D printing business. Since 2015, we've grown back from 45 billion to 59 billion. Um, so we've had great growth, uh, despite what some pundits said was uh, declining markets in PCs and printers. We've been able to uh, capture market share, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about how we've done that. 55,000 employees, 250,000 channel partners, so it's primarily an indirect sales motion. 87% of the business is through uh, channel partners. Um, we also have a strong focus on, uh, on sustainability. Uh, we're, we are um, number four in Barron's most sustainable companies. Business Week, uh, just this week, um, for the first time, did a uh, companies who are most socially responsible. HP is number one on that list out of 300 companies. So that's something that we're very proud of. So uh, what are we doing? What are we focused on? Um, personal systems, um, these are PCs. We are really focused on innovation um, in personal systems. I brought, uh, I never use props, but I, bought, uh, I brought a prop. This is a leather PC, not a leather covered PC, but a leather PC. Uh, this is not your grandfather's HP PC. It's uh, a 4K touchscreen uh, uh, with face recognition. It's a three-in-one uh, and uh, one of the lightest premium PCs out there. So uh, that's just an example of what we're doing um, in personal systems innovation in the premium segment. And that's what's been able to help fuel our growth there. Um, Another area of growth in PCs is what we call device as a service. That's moving from kind of your uh, conventional point-in-time transaction of selling a PC uh, and then providing warranty service on that PC to more of device as a service where we manage the entire life cycle of the compute uh, experience for either end users or companies more in a services, uh, in a services model. Office and home printing. I didn't bring another prop, but we're doing a lot of uh, innovation in, in printing. 
uh, including um, you know, digital printing where you have a, a handheld printer that you can stream photos from your phone and print four by six pictures uh, on the fly wherever you go. Uh, all the way to uh, managed print services for big companies, you know, where, um, again, as a service, we offer uh, some of the most secure printing in the world. So that's what we call advance. We're number one in PCs, we're number one in printing, but we're advancing uh, our positions in those categories through product innovation. Disrupt. Uh, disrupt is where we characterize 3D printing and graphics. Uh, 3D printing in particular is poised to disrupt uh, the industrial manufacturing segment. Uh, we think 3D printing could be a $500 billion total addressable market uh, in the coming years. And just for context, that's the size uh, of the printing business total addressable market today. So it's like doubling the total addressable market of our printing business. Uh, we're also in the number one position to uh, take advantage. And this is not uh, piloting and proof of concepts. We have massive scale 3D printing implementations. Smile Direct Club prints uh, 50,000 uh, 3D printed uh, retainers uh, every day, and it's disrupting the orthodontics industry, um, as an example. And then capitalize on IP, um, not known to many, but we have a lot of intellectual property that's, uh, that's used by other uh, PC and print manufacturers and their products. But what we'll focus on today is, um, is transform. So uh, like many companies, we are undergoing a digital transformation. We characterize the digital transformation in three primary pillars. Number one, uh, digitize customer experiences. So end users, partners, employees, we want the way that they interact with HB to be as digitized and streamlined as possible. Number two, uh, process optimization, um, operational efficiencies, save money, save to invest in future innovation. Um, and number three, uh, support new business models, right? So for example, as we move from transactional to contractual business models, that requires new capabilities. We need to execute digital capability enablement to support those new capabilities. So that's kind of uh, you know, what we're focused on. But let's talk a little bit more specifically about um, the initiatives that we have underway uh, within IT. Uh, to support the overall company's digital transformation. And I'll focus a little bit on supply chain. Um, HP is a, uh, a product company. We're the number seven uh, supply chain uh, in the world. By the way, we don't make this stuff up. All the, you know, the number one in PCs printers, this is IDC data based on market share and, and unit shipments and so forth. So uh, this is industry standard metrics. But let me walk you through this a little bit. Um, so starting at the bottom, uh, we're going through a massive SAP S4 HANA implementation. Uh, order to cash, procure to pay, issue to resolution, record to report. So this is not just central finance. Uh, this is you know, uh, an end-to-end -end, uh, implementation. We're also doing a greenfield implementation. We're moving from 13 ERPs to one ERP. Uh, we uh, did not uh, have the luxury of a four-year program either. Um, ours is uh, around a three-year program. And we're, um, from a revenue coverage perspective, about halfway done. Uh, we have moved 30 billion of our 60 billion in annualized revenue onto S4 HANA from our legacy ERPs in a little under two years. Um, and we, uh, we're moving, that, that encompasses our uh, North America and Latin America PC and print business. In May, we're moving our Europe PC and print business, and in November, our, our APJ uh, PC and print business. So that's really the core uh, of our transformation uh, architecture. Uh, however, you'll see that you know, we have a lot of initiatives both around and on, top, and on top of that core S4 architecture. For example, we're doing a product lifecycle management, you know, the way we manage new product introductions through the way that we manage end of life of products and how we manage all the master data throughout that process, we're using SAP PLM uh, for that. We did in supply chain a big supply uh, planning and demand planning uh, process optimization program. We're using SAP IBP, uh, integrated business planning for that. We do all of our PC and uh, all of our print supply and demand planning globally on IBP now. Um, 
Logistics Control Tower, this was uh, an initiative to kind of unlock transparency and digitize data uh, availability across all levels of the supply chain. So for example, when we move uh, uh, products across the boat on China, uh, from China, and that's a 10-day process, we have you know, RFID tags where they check in dozens of times, we collect their location throughout the journey, we take that data, put it into our component availability and our ERP, project target delivery dates when we receive orders based on that component availability, and now we commit to order delivery not based on inventory on hand, but based on expected component availability through this data collection algorithm. Obviously, you know, uh, business intelligence and analytics uh, using the transactional foundation uh, that SAP provides. Uh, SAP has a component of um, uh, what we're doing in BI analytics as well with BW for HANA. Uh, and then, you know, the front, uh, the front end uh, user experience layer, whether, whether it be uh, mobile interfaces, uh, feeding chatbots, uh, whether it be with IoT data from all of our printing uh, and, and PC devices uh, which stream data back to us, or business application data. Um, and, and obviously this serves as the foundation of how we communicate to uh, ODM suppliers, logistics partners, um, and, and ultimately customers uh, and, and sales channel partners as well. So for example, uh, all of our uh, demand plans are communicated uh, to ODM suppliers uh, through um, Ariba and uh, IBP integration as well. So that's a, a little bit about uh, what we're doing in IT to support HP's digital transformation journey. So why are we doing this? What are we hoping uh, to get out of it? Again, you know, falls into the category of improved digitized experience in doing business with HP, saving money, supporting our new business models. Um, you know, but, but uh, you know, more concrete, when we say improving digital customer experience, it means that when you're a global account, let's take Nestle, for example, as a global account, and you have subsidiaries in Europe and, and uh, Asia and Americas, you want one global way of doing business with HP. With 13 ERPs, uh, that's not gonna be possible. So obviously one uh, objective for us is moving towards industry standard processes for uh, you, you know, not just placing and tracking orders, but configuration, pricing, quoting, uh, uh, catalog management, pricing, etc. Another example is uh, predictive analytics. I gave, I gave one use case of uh, how we're uh, calculating target delivery dates um, using predictive analytics with component availability uh, and so forth as well. But we want to be more predictive in um, how we uh, assess the impact of the external ecosystem could be tariffs and their impacts on our pricing, could be material shortages with Intel and how we allocate you know, product on hand to orders that we have and so forth. Uh, data and analytics is, is uh, obviously um, you know, the mechanism to accomplish that. And the last example that I'll give is real-time access at every stage of our supply chain. That's really important to us. Uh, we, we don't want to uh, take an order in and have that be a black box until uh, the order is received. We want to be uh, very open and transparent about um, you know, how the fulfillment process is progressing at every stage. So um, I know we'll talk a little bit more in the Q&A about um, how AWS is uh, participating in a partner uh, through, through our journey as well, but that gives you a high level of what we're doing. All right, Buzz. Looking forward to the discussion. Thanks. And then Jurgen, a personal friend of mine, CTO of SAP. Jurgen, uh, obviously SAP, a huge partner and very strategic partner of AWS. But Jurgen himself, as a CTO, is also driving transformation within SAP, right? So Jurgen, share some of your thoughts. Yeah, of course. Hey, Buzz. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. Um, we thought that I uh, quickly share with you. Um, an update of the SAP strategy, and also, of course, as we hear it, uh, reinvent um, how SAP and uh, AWS uh, nicely play together. In uh, my role, basically, I have I quickly learned that I have two roles, so I became CTO and board member um, this year. One role is as the CTO across SAP, 
to give guidance to all development teams of how we develop software, how we integrate, and so on and so on, across all stacks, harmonizing, um, from harmonizing master data to the UI level. Um, and the second role is that I'm directly responsible for all technology, and we are at a tech and education conference here, so I will focus a bit more on this one. Just for completeness reasons, um, here you see that SAP covers three main areas. We cover um, where we have always have been very strong in the leader in enterprise applications, the op operations area. Here we focus much, much more on end-to-end -end processes. So we heard that earlier from Frederic and from Mark. Um, it's about lead to cash, it's about um, procure to pay, it's total workforce management, or if you build and manufacture, it's from um, um, from the manufacturing process to actually monitoring um, these devices uh, in, uh, during their life cycle. And then uh, I want to focus here a bit on the intelligence part. That is our uh, technology portfolio. And we, we simplified that a bit. So we play in four distinctive areas and create the best platform for customers if there's SAP involved. So those four areas are database, data management. So uh, you know SAP HANA, so our flagship uh, product there. Um, we will see in a minute that there's a bit more to it as well. Then it's about application development and integration. So you want to integrate SAP with non-SAP. You want to extend your SAP systems. We learned about very quick implementation times, about greenfield approaches, about back to standard, which means that you want to keep your um, your core lean, and then you want to extend uh, on the SAP Cloud Platform. Then it's about analytics. So here, um, of course, we want to we integrate analytics into our applications, and then uh, offer this uh, to customers as well. The SAP Analytics Cloud is our cloud solution, and then we have our business objects, uh, on-premise applications. And then, last but not least, it's about intelligent technologies. Nothing uh, today works without um, machine learning, without uh, IoT, and so on. So we are embedding um, these tech capabilities into our applications as well, um, but with a business focus. So everything we do here on the tech side really has a business focus, and we want to help um, businesses like NG, like HP, um, to achieve better outcomes. So. In the machine learning area, for example, by end of the year, we have more than 200 machine learning cases, and all of them are embedded into our applications. Um, I won't go into all the details here, but here you see the, the, a bit more of the capabilities. So um, on the database, data management side, we ourselves at SAP, we have a very broad and a very deep uh, portfolio of applications. Um, and more and more um, of our applications run on HANA, so that is the underlying database that we use. And this we also use, for example, to harmonize data um, and uh, to, to help our customers. Uh, for example, also with master data challenges, because that is one of the things that in all digital transformations have to be cleaned up. Um, and if, especially if you come from multiple systems to one system, master data is a key and that has to be under control. If uh, you ask yourself, or if I, I ask many customers, no one shares that they have their data completely under control. So that's a huge area uh, of improvement for many companies, so we also help there. On the application development and integration side, yes, I said it's really a lot about integration, because SAP plays a very vital role in, uh, your, uh, in your landscapes, but it's not the only application. And you have to integrate. For example, there's more and more laws coming up that if you even move inventory from uh, one uh, area within your company to another area, another warehouse, for example, that you have to inform governments about those movements. So SAP has more than 1,200 prepared connectors to connect SAP systems to, for example, government systems. Um, and then application development, uh, um, for sure here, it's mainly about extensibility of our uh, standard applications. Analytics, I already mentioned here. Um, we go down the route that we have uh, self-service BI, and we combine this with predictive capabilities, because from the actuals, it's very natural to do a prediction into the future. And then this is already very close to planning the future. So 
we, in our um, offering SAP Analytics Cloud, we combine um, the self-service BI plus predictive plus planning. And I already mentioned intelligent technologies. Important um, to you, we, this here is the uh, SAP and AWS reference architecture. So our teams on the engineering side work very closely together. And what you see here, I will also not go through all of this, but you see the AWS infrastructure services. Then you see the SAP business technology platform. So this is everything around HANA and uh, analytics and everything around our cloud platform for extensibility and integration. And then on the right-hand side, you see AWS platform services that we make use of. And on the top left, you see SAP SaaS applications, some of them running on AWS as well. And then SAP on-premise applications that you also can run um, on the AWS infrastructure services. So um, with that being said, I just want to close with the left-hand side, which is the experience part. So roughly a year ago, SAP, we acquired Qualtrics. And here, it's not so much about the operational data where you see what is happening. So you do see that in your inventory, for example, what is happening. But the experience side often tells you why it is happening. So here, it's about sentiments and, um, of, and preferences of employees, of customers. How do they uh, give feedback to your products? How can you improve product development? And how does all of that impact your brand? And yeah, I'm happy, Buzz, that you and the whole AWS team have us here. It's an 11-year partnership, and yeah, we are very happy to be here. Buzz, back to you. I have you. Uh, if I can ask Mark and Frederic to join me on stage. Um, Jürgen, if you can take the seat next to me. Perfect. This one, please. Sure. So, Jürgen, a year ago, Almost exactly a year ago, you started your CTO uh, position within SAP. You were very closely aligned with SAP all this time. But besides meeting me, were there any other highlights? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time flies. No, my, my highlights are um, when I can uh, work closely with customers, uh, like the two of you, with partners, of course, especially with you, Buzz. Um, <laughs> No, that is that is a highlight, um, of course, and yeah, I'm I'm very happy. For me, it was also a, a personally um, a transformation. So I was the chief innovation officer before, so working uh, very closely on the machine learning side of the house, for example. But now um, that, of course, is a much broader responsibility. And to be honest, we had to make make some bold decisions pretty early, and then it is like you are in transformations the change process uh, that is very important internally and externally. Yep, for sure, for sure. Uh, Frederic, switching to you, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your SAP landscape, where you are today in your transformation, which AWS services are meaningful there? Okay. Um, SAP in your case, um, let's say it very simply, we are a SAP shop. Um, so I will not list to all of you the list of modules makes no sense. Uh, but we've been using SAP for a very long time for a lot of modules. Um, finance is one of them, HR and production and so forth. Um, and we are in a transformation. We decided a couple of years ago that we wanted to go to S4ANA. It was a decision. It was impacting. And progressively, uh, each time uh, a given landscape become obsolete, um, we decide to refresh and move to, to S4ANA. And here in the context of the SAP Finance, it was a move to AWS as well. And this move to, to AWS, it was not anticipated, to be clear. Uh, initially, we started with on-premise. Um, and I would even say it was not the reason why we picked AWS. Uh, we moved to the AWS for SAP for the finance part simply because we wanted to move fast. You mentioned it. We started on premise. Uh, we found out that our implementation partner wanted more, faster, and uh, delivering that on premise was not realistic. But we did not want to block the project. We wanted to really move forward 
And in such case, yeah, we jumped the gap, tried it, and it has been successful. And we're very happy today with the way it's been running. So that's today the trend. And we keep adding more and more on AWS for the moment. It's not just SAP, it's a data platform, it's other workload. And those are progressively cooperating and expanding. Thank you, Frederick. Mark, over to you. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing with SAP today? Yeah, I mean, as you saw, uh, SAP is core to our architecture. Again, but not just S4HANA. Um, as, uh, as Jürgen mentioned, you know, master data management is key uh, to any digital transformation. We're using MS4 um, for master data management, InfoSteward for data quality management, et cetera. I mentioned IBP, integrated business planning, uh, for demand and supply planning, PLM for product lifecycle management, uh, BW for HANA for BI and analytics, et cetera. Um, but core is, is you know, the S4 HANA program, um, and, and really, again, we think of it as a process-led transformation, not an SAP program, but a business process transformation supported by SAP enablement. Uh, and that's really, you know, our most significant uh, investment and transformation focus. Um, I mentioned that we're about halfway through from a revenue coverage perspective, and uh, that has been Greenfield um, in, in terms of migrating from our legacy ERP environment, but actually our migration to AWS is not Greenfield. Um, we, we originally started uh, in, in a private cloud architecture for, uh, for S4 HANA. Uh, and uh, we are in the process of migrating that to, um, to AWS now. And um, the reason is because, uh, you know, similar to what you described, uh, Frederic, um, we wanted to spin up and spin down non-production environments uh, at will. And in the private cloud environment, both the business model as well as the technical architecture didn't allow for us to do that. Uh, and we also only wanted to pay for what we used, right? So if we had a test cycle that took six weeks, we wanted to spin up that environment in a few days, use it for six weeks, spin it down, and only pay for the six weeks. And again, you know, the private cloud architecture didn't, uh, didn't support our ability to do that. And the last key reason why we're moving uh, to, to AWS is um, uh, for production stability through dynamic provisioning of resources, you know, like, we don't want to size exactly how many CPUs and memory and storage we'll need up front uh, and then constantly revisit that sizing as the database grows, as our use case grows. Uh, we want to be in uh, an environment with ubiquitous access to system resources should we need to consume them. Um, and uh, that's been our focus, this infrastructure you know, transformation focus in parallel to the business process transformation focus over recent weeks. Uh, and just to put it into context, we have about uh, 300 uh, servers across our non-production and production landscapes that uh, we're moving to AWS. We've moved about 120 uh, into AWS within a six-week time frame. So we are on aggressive schedule even uh, through that transition. That's fast, mm, very that's, fast. That's extremely fast. Oh, you like that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jürgen, under your leadership, we've seen actually SAP, uh, I think, almost a decade ago saw the power of hyperscale clouds, uh, and we're certainly not the only provider. Um, but under your leadership, we've seen it actually even accelerate, right? So can you share with the audience a little bit what customers can uh, consume in terms of AWS services and what to expect in the, in the future? Yeah, as I mentioned, we had to make some, some bold decisions, and um, I was listening carefully, of course, to customers, uh, to partners, to analysts, to uh, user groups, um, and of course also to, to our employees. And um, one of the areas where at least perceived there was some confusion was that uh, SAP, with our offering, we try to be everything for everyone, and even uh, had um, services in our offering, commodity services, that were um, overlapping with the hyperscalers services. Yep. So um, that was one of the decisions that we said, okay, no, we don't want to compete because that was the perceived feeling that SAP, maybe you saw it as well. Yeah. Um, at least from what, if you look at what we are offering, what Hyperscale is offering, we were like, if you look at that, competing, which doesn't make sense. So um, what uh, you also saw here with the business technology platform is that SAP, and this is where you expect us to be, 
um, is focusing on business. Yes. Um, and of course, making use of technology, but to solve business problems. Um, and you then have the, because then the, the uh, business technology platforms, HANA and the cloud platform, is running on top of uh, hyperscalers, then you have the best of both worlds. Then you have the flexibility and scalability um, of the hyperscalers, and you have the business um, focus and savviness, and you want us to invest our resources there, um, of an SAP. And that is uh, one area which was um, also in a transformation. Um, and I'm happy to see you saw the uh, reference architecture. So like a lot of the SAP services are um, available on AWS. Um, from, as I said, a few um, SaaS applications to then all of our um, um, technology portfolio, which is running in the cloud. So this is HANA, this is Cloud Platform, this is um, our Data Warehouse Cloud, which we recently launched. This is Data Intelligence. Um, so throughout all of our portfolio, um, you have full coverage on AWS. And we see customers uh, being very happy about that um, because, as I said, you can make use of the best of both worlds. No, absolutely, and uh, we're super excited with uh, not just the portfolio that we have, but the collaboration that we've had and actually um, learning as we go and now having very scalable solutions. Uh, Frederick, back to you. Um, can you talk a little bit about the key impacts and results uh, of, uh, of where you've been so far on this journey? I think we, we have somewhere a slide giving us more I can actually visibility on numbers. Yep. We love numbers. We love numbers. And that give, give you directly um, understanding of the impact. Um, where are we? We did not start with SAP on AWS. We started with digital. Uh, launching a digital factory, launching a digital initiative. I was mentioning earlier that this was key for us. So that's where we got the, the innovation. That's where we had the ability to be nimble, agile. Uh, then came SAP and it showed us that it was possible. And if it's possible for SAP, it's possible for everything. And this gives us lessons internally that yeah, you can use it there, you can use it for anything. And we see the result, because people started using it more and more and more. And the more you give freedom, the more people start putting additional workload. The result today is that we have more VM, more EC2 on Amazon Web Services than what we have as VM in our global data center. And it keeps rising. During the last year, we more than doubled our usage, and it keeps growing. So this is really an enabler. It's really a way for people to change their way of doing, change their way of deploying systems. The second part, and this is what is hidden behind the numbers, that you need to learn by doing. And that's sometimes difficult, because this has been transformational for IT department or IT subsidiary. When you start with, in a rush, an SAP project and people tell you, oh, finally, it will not be on-premise, it will be cloud-side. And people start discovering what the public cloud means. They feel scared. But they learn. And then they apply. And then they apply again. And this feedback loop is very positive. It means that we get a more agile IT. It means that we get better results. It means that people also learn how to do infrastructure as code. And when you tell initially an infrastructure guy that he will have to code, look at you with a strong look and say, are you sure? And then you say yes. And then he moves forward. And that's a good win. So this is really the important thing I see there. Another point for me, which is also very important, is that the target is moving, and it's moving fast. Two years ago, when we were using Amazon Web Services and deploying SAP on top of it, the workload there, in terms of consumption, it was something like 80% EC2, 20% of the native services. Today, when I look at the numbers, and we doubled twice in consumption, it's lower than 50% EC2, 
and the rest is all the native managed service by Amazon, which means that you need to refocus. You need to start using what is there available. You don't want to reinvent the wheel. Uh, and that's also really a lesson learned. And it keeps increasing. And I'm convinced that uh, soonish, this will keep going lower. Um, and we will need to learn on how to do IT differently. Very true. Mark, um, what did AWS provide uh, that benefited HPI on its uh, journey? I, I think uh, speed and, and flexibility. You, you know, I mentioned that um, we had an, aggre uh, an aggressive timeline uh, to implement S4HANA uh, three years for a $60 billion company. Um, and in order to be able to deliver on an aggressive timeline like that, uh, like I said, you need um, infrastructure to be available as a ubiquitous service. So, because the complexity of going through the business process transformation, translating those into configurations, testing and delivering them, are complex enough uh, and aggressive enough where you don't have time to be chasing down the availability of development and test and, and QA servers and filling out paperwork to do so. Uh, that just needs to be there, you know. So uh, speed and, and flexibility is really what we're looking for AWS to provide in support of our transformation objectives. Very good. Mm -hmm. And then, Jurgen, for you, we talked a lot about the, the, the depth of the services, but there's also um, 12, you have now 12 hyperscale supported regions, 10 of them are on AWS. What have been your observations as you scale globally with the platform? I mean, we anyway want to be where our customers need us. And we serve the most, uh, of course, we serve more than 400,000 customers, but among those, the largest customers in the world, which are active in all regions of the world. And that's why also, of course, we need to have a quick vehicle of, uh, of getting there. And um, we have our multi-cloud uh, strategy. But what helps us a lot is if you have an availability zone ready, for example, and we work on, on multiple of them to expanding the footprint of the SAP Cloud Platform more and more, then of course it's much easier um, to onboard uh, our technology on an available uh, region than to spin up, for example, an own data center. So yeah. that is like orders and orders of magnitude uh, of a difference in uh, CapEx investment in time, which is the most important factor. Um, and therefore, of course, we uh, continue to expanding our footprint. And we do that based on customer demand. So that's anyway um, how we are, are working very well together. Um, when customers push us, for example, you remember the IoT work. Mm -hmm. So now it's maybe half a year back, um, nine months back, that we announced that at the Mobile World Congress. Um, to making like our IoT offerings work better together. Because why should SAP take care of like device management of thousands and thousands of different device types, uh, whereas that you have a huge partner ecosystem that can do it. And then when these IoT events become SAP relevant, of course, then SAP technology <coughs> kicks in and uh, makes that happen. Or we announce the data custodian. So here customers ask us, okay, um, we deploy on, on AWS in that case. How do we make sure that uh, data um, protection is guaranteed? So we develop something and you're complementary to each other. So AWS has um, data pr uh, protection in place, of course, but for the business application side of the house, uh, you need a bit more. So that's why we developed this AWS data custodian in that case. So, and this is where, um, where I think the collaboration is very fruitful, and we do that in, in service of, of our customers. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Frederic, you've been probably uh, the longest. Is, is there any learnings that you want to share with Mark or the audience that's considering or is currently deploying uh, SAP solutions on a hyperscale cloud? I, I would focus on the migration, I would say. And my first learning is that align your implementation with your governance. For a very long time, we had this extremely bad habit of bin packing. You had a big box, you, put, you want to put as much as possible on that box. 
because this will lower your cost, your infrastructure cost. Cloud side, you don't need that. So align your infrastructure, your implementation with your, with your governance. That, and that's key. That makes things so much simpler. Your downtime, your decision, your migration are just independent from what the others. The second is get your networking ready. Put your direct connect. Think about mm -hmm. hybridizing your middleware. It makes, makes things so much easier to move data around. Um, and don't be scared about remaining dependencies. You know that, yeah, you will migrate your, your workload, it will move to the cloud, and maybe you still have a, uh, this kind of ordinancing uh, system or this kind of uh, system checking system, which is there on premise, still there, no big deal. It will still work. You can progressively look at migrating those as a next step. Um, things that don't migrate too well, APM, the good old application performance management on-premise. You put tabs and so on and so forth. Uh, moving to cloud, that one, I would not recommend. Um, and then finally, maybe, um, getting professional services. The one from SAP, the one from Amazon Web Service, or the partner network is really relevant because they know, the, they know their stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Mark, um, any, um, since we're here, any request of what we can do better to help you in your journey? What are some of the areas where you want us to prioritize? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, Jurgen said it best. SAP has a core competency. Hyperscalers have a core competency. And together, it's a very um, powerful value proposition to customers. Uh, but SAP and the hyperscalers need to work together very collaboratively, always in the best interests of customers to deliver that experience. So I've got a couple of examples. Like, you know, if um, SAP and Adobe and Microsoft announce an open data initiative to facilitate seamless flow of, of you know, uh, data across business applications, but if each one argues that their standard needs to be the master and the other's the slave, then the initiative falls apart and it's a missed opportunity to serve the best interests of customers. Or if, for example, there are automation utilities uh, to um, accelerate the migration of, uh, of servers from a private cloud or on-premise environment into a public cloud environment, uh, but if between these parties they can't agree on the automation standards and utilities, it doesn't serve the best interests of the customers. So that would be, you know, my uh, my request. It, you know, this this powerful ecosystem uh, should always serve the best interests of the customers. 100% agree. You got our commitment, Mark. Um, last question for you, Jurgen. Uh, we talked a little bit about data custodian. Uh, the second half of the year has been amazing in terms of the releases that keep coming out. Um, any words around what customers can expect in terms of future collaboration without releasing products before they're ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think we are um, guided a lot by, by, by these examples, of course, where a lot is already uh, in a good shape, but we know that there's a lot of things that uh, uh, can be better. Um, and then also looking at the announcement um, that Andy and Jesse made yesterday, I assume that the whole data plane um, will be re very relevant. So how do we make it uh, easy to make sure that um, you also there you use the best of both worlds, you have um, the most valuable data, I would say, in, in, probably in your SAP ecosystem, but you have the most from a volume perspective um, around this, and, and how do we make sure that this plays nicely together? I think that is an area um, that, that you will be asking for very soon, so therefore I think this is an area where, where we already, already can, can look into. Fantastic, guys. Well, thank you so much. Um, let me just close by saying we are obviously super thrilled with customers like Angie, HP, SAP, and the partnership that we have. Uh, there's more partners and customers talking at the event. Uh, later this afternoon, Heineken will share their transformation story uh, with their SAP environments. And with that, if you, uh, let me go to the call to action slide for a minute so you know where to find us. 
if the word that uh, Frederick used, experiment, we really encourage customers that are contemplating what the hyperscale cloud could be to just experiment. Um, learning and doing is how you actually start, start understanding the art of the possible here, right? So quick starts is an automate, automated way to provision NetWeaver environments, HANA environments, sets it up in a half hour to a one hour, full architectures, super easy to get started. Second, 250 partners are serving SAP customers on AWS. If you need any help finding them, they have actually a competency designation, which means they have successful projects behind them. And we as AWS have connected with the customer to ensure that the partners serve the customer uh, against their expectations. Allow them to actually advise you as well. And then lastly, reach out to us if you have any questions. The email is here, go straight to my inbox and our team's inbox and we'll get back to you ASAP. And with that, we are now officially in the second half of reInvent, so good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to hear.